You know you've got to sing along. But don't you know This is the Cabinets HR Podcast, hosted by Jason Cabinets. Join Jason as he talks to small business owners, founders, and people in tech startups in HR. If you fall into one of these categories or are just curious about them, then this is the podcast for you. You will gain great insights from these great conversations. The Cabinets HR Podcast is brought to you by Cabinets HR. At Cabinets HR, we deliver HR to companies with 49 or fewer people by automating the HR process. We believe that you don't need a full-time HR person to receive full-time HR expertise. Hello, and welcome to the Cabinets HR Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Cabinets. Our guest today is Thomas Nimmo. Thomas, are you ready to be great today? I sure am. Thomas is a former U.S. Army Ranger turned executive cyber advisor. He is now the CEO of CyberFix to help smaller businesses navigate the complexities of cybersecurity. Thomas, with everything on the news, I can imagine you're keeping pretty busy right now, aren't you? Oh, yeah. With small companies and medium-sized companies, that's our, you know, that's really our audience uh, for CyberFence. And, um, yeah, it's just, it's just a real struggle. It's, uh, there's a lot of fear out there. There's a lot of complexity. And uh, it just seems like a lot of business leaders want, um, well, I can break them down in three segments. Um, you know, there's some of them, actually, they understand the, uh, the threats. Uh, they just want some help in taking the first steps. Then there's some others who've tried a few things and uh, they feel they feel stuck right now and they don't know why. And then third, there's a small group who are really kind of uh, trying to push, um, you know, this narrative of, of cybersecurity and figuring trying to figure out how they can use that to differentiate themselves in the market. Because what we're seeing now in the market is that companies that can't um, can't demonstrate some basic cybersecurity controls that uh, protect our you know our sensitive data, yours and mine. Um, they're actually being slowly marginalized from the market. Um, and you look at some of the big companies uh, who've had major data breaches. All of them have lost a significant stock price in the first 48 hours, 72 hours. Most of them have recovered, but uh, those are big companies with a heck of a lot of resources and smaller companies just don't have that. So they really suffer. Thomas, at the most basic level, what, what is cyber? Because I think a lot of people don't understand what cyber even is. Yeah, so, you know, cyber is, it's, um, it's just short, uh, shorthand for uh, uh, information security or cyber security. And so when you hear kind of in cyber, the word cyber kind of encompasses a, a lot of disciplines and a lot of needs. Um, so that's when I say cyber, it's, it's very broad. Uh, but cybersecurity is actually the practice of putting in specific controls to help prevent, um, you know, certain outcomes like uh, uh, someone stealing your information or um, getting access to your information. The, inf- the discipline of information security is a little broader term, and that is uh, all the information that's either stored, processed, or transmitted. Uh, all of those encompass the ways of uh, uh, the types and, and the ways uh, information is, uh, is shared. That makes sense. 
sometimes we hear all the time about you know cities getting hacked or 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 having a hack attack or the home defense or you know different organizations restaurants whatever what does that really mean and what kind of risks are individuals at as well as data security well you know i think one um one service i can actually provide the audience is that um you know, it, there's a lot of people, especially small businesses, who may think, um, you know, why would cybercrime be interested in me? I'm small. Um, and so they really put off a lot of activity or actions. It's actually the opposite. Um, cybercrime is actually very interested in small companies. And there are a couple of reasons. One, the, uh, it's low-hanging fruit for them. They know that uh, smaller companies are understaffed underfunded, and they actually do have very important information, especially when those smaller companies are third-party vendors of larger companies. And so if you're a small part, if you're a, a small company and you're a third-party vendor to, let's say, a regional bank, um, cybercrime is especially interested in you because they know you have access to data or servers that can, uh, that house data that they would want. And so they actually look across the cyber field, the, um, the, the marketplace, and see which companies, small companies, are weak. And if they can determine that you're weak and you have a connection to something they want, they will exploit that and either use you to get to that information or use you to find other connections that are weak but have higher privileges to that information. So it can be kind of a, um, a chain effect uh, but you, I, I just want to demystify that uh, smaller companies, you are a very prime target for, for cybercrime. Now, uh, when we look back at some of the major data breaches, um, Target is a big retailer is actually one of the easiest examples. Uh, the reason Target was brought down was because of uh, the weakness of a very small third party Vendor. They had, I think, five people on staff, and actually their function in the supply chain was um, heating and cooling. And so, again, you, you think that that's kind of a, a company that's way out in the orbit, but what they did is they, they found a company that had access to what they needed, whether it was more privileges or actually the data, and they honed on them, exploited them, and then eventually took down Target. So um, we've got a few of those examples. We've got some more, um, actually more, some more recent ones. Uh, you may have remembered about a year ago, the LA Times was actually taken offline. They couldn't deliver their newspapers for about five to seven days. And what happened was is a third-party uh, vendor that supplied logistical software, um, there was actually a bug in the software and cyber criminals found that, exploited it, and that essentially shut down the printing presses for five to seven days. And so you can see how disruptive these things are. Disruption actually equals revenue loss. And so, um, again, for small business owners, you know, IT risk is business risk. Cyber risk equals business risk, and that all equals revenue loss. So on a you know, more uh, relative scale, small businesses really have to watch out. Um, business leaders have to engage and uh, really take action. But you mentioned uh, some of the big cities. Uh, we just had Baltimore about nine months ago. They were taken offline. Uh, most of their uh, municipal um, 
operations. And so essentially there were a lot of taxpayers in the, in the Baltimore city who couldn't pay their taxes. And so that's loss of revenue for the city, a city who needs revenue. And then uh, more recently, Pensacola, I believe uh, was also brought down. So, you know, the range of uh, targets is, is very wide and you just have to give the credit to the uh, cyber syndicates. They're, they're very uh, deliberative. They're very, they have a lot of expertise and they're very well funded. Um, so in a sense, they're highly sophisticated. And when you have to, when you think that uh, even a small cyber crime syndicate, um, their tools cost next to nothing, we're talking really about asymmetrical warfare. So you have to really uh, engage, uh, be on top of things, and actually, you know, invest in your company to stop or prevent these uh, data hacks because they're out there and they have more tools, they're faster and more sophisticated. Now, I could be wrong, but in Baltimore, didn't the hackers actually demand a ransom from the city of Baltimore, like a million dollars or something like that, to unreleased everything? Yeah, so that's, uh, that's a good, that's a good um, distinction. I mean, it, it, is a sense, it goes in the category of uh, cyber crime, but uh, what, what seems to have happened is um, they didn't really have to penetrate the, uh, you know, the servers. What they did is um, they, they deployed what's called ransomware. And uh, it is exactly as it sounds. Um, ransomware is uh, usually delivered in emails that um, are targeted to a certain individual in the company or a company itself. And they, the, cyber, the cyber criminals just hope that somebody clicks on a web link that actually is housed, housing uh, malware. And that malware can shut down your computer um, or it can actually travel through the entire network and take down the network. And what it does is it locks your files. And in order to get access back to those files, you have to pay a ransom and they give you a code and it's uh, unlocked. Um, Cybercrime is fairly good, as uh, from what I understand, at... Um, at releasing the files once the ransom is paid, but um, you know it's 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 it mimics traditional crime. And um, I'll tell you, there's one interesting stat in the UK. Um, I think it was just last year. Uh, the UK government actually released some notes saying that um, uh, cyber crime actually overtook traditional crime. So you can you can just imagine how fast and how broad this um, this problem is expanding. So you do if you if you don't pay the ransom, basically you got to start everything all over again, right? So do you make the business decision to pay the ransom, or you pay the ransom, or you pay the ransom? They already hack you once, so it's going to stop from hacking over and over again. But do you really have the money and the funds to start all over again? That's an excellent question because um, it's the same question that uh, people in, in the physical ransom or you know, people, uh, victims of the physical ransom also face, you know, uh, if I pay, am I going to get uh, what was taken back? Um, in the cyber world, it's a little easier um, to comprehend because uh, files are, you know, you have digital files and you can make copies or backups. And if you are one of the, um, business leaders that's uh you know knowledgeable and engaged guess what you're going to make backups and that backup is going to save your company so when that ransomware hits 
Um, you can shut down all of your devices, your network, uh, attempt to clean it or buy new appliances, and then reload those files, and then you're back to business. And that's what we call a resiliency plan. Um, but if you don't have those backup files, you are in a, a lot of uh, a heap of trouble. And then you go more into a recovery phase. And that recovery phase is exactly the options you, you brought up. Do I pay? Do I not pay? Um, there are some cyber insurance policies that, um, that facilitate um, uh, the situation. And uh, some of the uh, activities of, um, of paying are, 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 are frowned upon. The, um, the federal authorities like the FBI, they really uh, they advocate not paying. But if you're a small business owner and your files are taken and you're losing revenue by the hour, I, I tell you, that's a tough choice. It's a tough choice. And um, unfortunately, at the moment, I think more people are paying than not because they need those files. So the one way to help yourself and, and to uh, protect your company is to make sure you do uh, updates uh, at a minimum 24 hours. Um, and that, that helps. So, Thomas, two-part question. What percentage of companies are hacked and they know about it, but they don't make it public? And part two, what companies are getting hacked but have no idea they're getting hacked? Well, you know, I, I don't have the offhand uh, statistic, but um, it has been increasing where companies are actually reporting the um, the hack or the damage from a hack. So uh, that's really important because uh, I, I think it's been... Um, I think the, the forcing function of that has been state laws. Uh, I th there's about two thirds of the states right now who have uh, what's called notification laws. And um, some of them are quite strict. Even if you don't know about the hack, when you do about it, you know, if it's a year later, you still have to notify all of your customers in that state. And, um, and you only have a certain amount of time to do that. So these state laws have actually forced companies to be a little bit more transparent, a little bit more timely. Um, now, of course, again, this is a tough situation for business leaders. Let's say you're hacked today. You know, you first you need to establish is it a real situation, um, and then once you do, the the clock for the uh, state notification starts immediately. But uh, you have to decide is it a real situation? Can it be managed? Uh, who do you call first? And then you start your uh, your recovery, uh, you know, protocols. So. I guess the answer is more companies are reporting, um, again, because I think the forcing function of the state laws, but uh, there's still quite a few companies who, honestly, it's, it may be a year or a year and a half later where they finally discovered that um, you know, there's malware in their servers or on the keyboards of their, uh, of their end devices. And what I mean by that is, um, again, if you get a suspicious email and, and uh, no matter how free it is and you click on it, you're not going to get free pizza. You're probably going to get what's called malware and that's going to be spyware. And that spyware is going to go settle itself somewhere in your device and it can actually log every keystroke. And uh, if you can imagine is if you're keying in your password and your username, guess what? 
they have it. And so again, it's a lot of uh, basic hygiene that uh, prevents us, um, you know, being careful on what you click on before you click it. That's, that's key for um, kind of the individual staff level. Um, but also, you know, some other basic things like keeping up back backups just in case those, you know, that malware is released. Um, does that help? Yes, absolutely. I mean, obviously the right thing to do and the ethical thing to do is like, you know, inform everyone to see you or wherever, but you have to act on how, how much business pressure is on there. Like, but don't tell anyone yet, let's figure out a little more stuff, let's do this. And before you know it, you know, I mean, it seems like first transfer is the best policy, but I mean, being realistic, that, you know, it has to be some kind of business pressure from people. Don't say anything yet. Maybe it's not a big deal, you know. Yeah. I, so again, you know, if if you're a public company, and you have a, a you know a major breach. Um, you can pretty much guarantee that your stock price is going to be hit uh, for the next couple of days. Um, that has happened to a lot of companies, and so you know your first uh, order of business is again establishing the uh, the damage. And then uh, trying to recover or stop the damage, and then you bring in a lot of PR people, and so you have to. Yeah, you're right. It's it's how much, um, you know, how much information do you release? So if you're in a, a ransomware situation, you know, first 24 hours, are you going to notify all your customers and broadcast that and uh, let the um, the cyber criminals know, you know exactly what you're thinking, what your strategy is. Um, that's a tough question. And uh, if you scale it up to a public company, you can just imagine the pressure and, um, you know, it's on the business leader and this, the decisions they have to make. So it's, you know, it's nice as a big company to have all the resources and funding you need to, um, to kind of maintain security and then actually tackle incidences when they come up. But um, the scale of the problems also uh, rise. <laughs> so Thomas, from your experience, do you see like hackers maybe like, once they practice their craft with smaller companies and, and hone their craft, and then once they have it honed on the smaller companies to move up to the bigger corporations? Um, not necessarily. Um, there's cyber syndicates or cyber crime syndicates that uh, specialize in SME companies. It's, um, you know, they know it's like, you know, it's like direct mail. Uh, you can send, you know, that if you send out a thousand pieces, you're going to have X rate, you know, return. And that's pretty stable right now. Um, larger companies, it's, it's uh, a much more sophisticated and longer cycle campaign because you want to reconnoiter first, uh, see if you can um, get as many employees uh, to make mistakes and then see what their relationships are in the, in the company. And if you can escalate those privileges and gain better access. So it's a very long cycle for larger companies for uh, cyber criminals. But the, the shorter, you know, the smaller companies, those are shorter cycles. It's kind of a hit and miss and move on. Um, yeah, so it's, they, they kind of, the cyber syndicates uh, tend to specialize. It's, it's not that they start off small and, and they get bigger. Um, you know, that's, that's, that's what we've seen. But uh, it's, um, it's very interesting, and, and you have to, as a business leader, you really have to be on top of things and engage and uh, be prepared um, because there's somebody out there that uh, wants your data. And, you know, it, it's not necessarily someone external. Uh, quite frankly, there are a lot of data breaches that are insider threats. 
And those insider threats are disgruntled employees, uh, board employees who make a, a mistake. Um, it's um, so you know, just to give you uh, some insights. There's an IBM report that was released, I think, about two years ago. And after uh, quite a bit of research, they determined that um, 95% of all data breaches are actually rooted uh, in human error. So that's. Um, yeah, that's pretty insightful. And what that means is that uh, we need to spend a lot more time on training um, individuals, individual staff. And there's a lot of banter out there. You see it. I see it more online, you know, um, articles and, and, you know, and blogs really hammering people, employees as the weakest link. I actually think it's the opposite. If they're trained, equipped, and they're um, led by a competent business leader who is actually motivated. Um, those individual employees can actually be your strongest link. Because if you think about it, uh, if you have um, your sensitive data on one side and the cyber syndicates on the other, the only thing in between your data is people, your people. So um, I would say treat them right, uh, motivate them, and, and lead them uh, from the front. Thomas, so do all hackers come from Russia? No. <laughs> no, that's that some, like part of the news. No, there's some very interesting websites that can tell you in real time where these attacks are coming from. And um, one of the uh, one of the countries that lights up uh, very brightly is the United States. So <laughs> you have the United States, China, Brazil, uh, Russia, of course, um, and a smattering, and a little bit in the Middle East. Those tend to be the, the brightest on the map. Um, but no, it's, it's just not the, um, it's, just, it's, it's just not a certain group from a certain place. It's, um, it's an equal opportunity um, uh, syndication. <laughs> so Thomas, for the people who don't have, is it is a pretty lucrative um, market for them? Oh, the, their return on, uh, on investment ROI is um, something you can only dream of. And uh, so, it, you know, they can actually, the cyber criminals, some of the uh, startups can actually find the tools they need for 10 to to $100. And um, if you can imagine sending out uh, 2,000, um, you know, malware, the 2,000 targets, um, the hit rate is pretty high just for like ransomware, just because it's so prevalent. You know, you and I probably get, and your audience probably gets, you know, hundreds of emails, if not a thousand per week. And, um, you know, we're trying to be careful what we open and everything, but uh, sometimes we're in a rush and we make mistakes. And, um, you know, just I've been getting quite a few from Amazon and some of the other vendors I use. And I tell you, they're getting much more, uh, from appearance sake, they're getting a mu uh, much more believable. You know, they have the icon or the logo. Uh, they have uh, the address. But there's um, some very uh, little mistakes or errors. Uh, either it's misspelling or, or something just very odd. And if you can pick those indicators up, uh, you'll have a better chance of uh, discovering, you know, what's good and what's bad. But, um, you know, it's part of the, part of the uh, I guess, the uh, modus operandi the, uh, of, of cybercrime is, is to create a situation where you have to decide something fast. So if you can imagine being in a, um, 
uh, a very challenging and intense negotiation. And someone says, well, you, you know, you're at a crossroads and you have to make a decision now or your discount's going to go away. You know, that really uh, starts to uh, get your emotions up and sort of make, you know, makes you think faster and uh, you may not make the, uh, the most, um, the best choice. So in some of these examples that we're seeing for uh, ransomware, it's uh, your account has, your PayPal account has been closed and you need to click on this, um, you know, to, to uh, retrieve it. And so when people, um, you know, feel or sense that um, their financial uh, ability or access to funding is being cut off. Um, you can imagine what kind of a haste they make to uh, retrieve it. And that's a, that's a, that's a prime example. And so I, I'm sure a lot of your audience sees those on a weekly basis, but um, again, they're getting much more believable. You'll see them from your financial institutions. Um, and all they want you to do is click on that and then they'll have a fake uh, form or website. And once you start putting in your uh, username and password, now they have it. And um, so, and you know, it's not the end of the world at that moment because uh, a lot of your vendors, like especially financial to institutions, are using two-factor authentication, and that is a um, an extra layer of protection for for everyone, and it's really good. And what that means, uh, two-factor authentication means um, that you have two things before access is authorized, and those two things are something you have and something you know. And to clarify that, the, the something you know is your username and password. The something you have tends to be your cell phone. So when you put in that username and password, they instantly send you something on your mobile phone. It could be a, a text or um, even a call. And if they match those two, if they can get a hold of you with that cell phone, they have a, um, a better indication that it's you. Now, of course, someone could know your username and password and have your mobile. And so two-factor would be defeated. But in most cases, at this moment in time, two-factor is, is a, a pretty robust control. And some of your audience may even see multi-factor where you have to have not only two factor, but a third factor. And that may be voice recognition, face recognition, or a, a thumbprint. No, for my staff, I've been getting email like once a day in the last two weeks saying, hey, your bank account is, you know, blah, 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 you know, whatever. Only the problem is I've never heard of this bank before, right? So... Right. I, again, they're getting, they're getting very sophisticated. It used to be... Uh, maybe five, seven years ago, you would get this bizarre email saying, hey, I'm from this strange country that you can't even point to on a map. And we just need some basic information and we'll send you a check for a million dollars. I mean, it's, it's, that's a little exaggerated, but that's pretty much the, the, the crux of the email. Just, just give us a little bit of information and we'll reward you with something that's already yours. Um, that scenario alone uh, you just need to delete the email. <laughs> you just need to delete it right away. But uh, a lot of them are, again, like you said, are, they're looking very professional. 
the logos there. It, it all appears legit. Um, there's actually the, the whole text of or context of the, uh, of the, uh, communication is not as threatening. Uh, it's just, it could be just, Hey, we're, we just would like to update your information. Please help us. The, the one way to, um, one sure way to, to, to see if that, if it's a fake, uh, email is if you go up to the top of the email and you hover over with your mouse and your cursor over the, um, the person who sent, sent it to you. If you hover over that, it'll show you the entire address. And if it is just a bunch of gibberish, um, or it has a, uh, at the ending, instead of a .com, a, a dot, and there's a, a two or three letter um, indicator, that means it's probably from another country that you're not doing business with. And so um, you need to, if you can hover over that, take some, some time and some patience and hover over that if you believe it's suspicious and you'll see this long gibberish uh, address, that is a strong indicator that uh, this is a fake email. And so, again, like if you bank with one of the regional or national banks, it should just say that bank name, .com. But if it's uh, 30 characters and it's, uh, you know, dot, uh, you know, one of the smaller countries, then, um, yeah, it's probably fake. Thomas, can you talk some about the dark web? Is the dark web really a dangerous place to go to? Well, it's, it's not necessarily a dangerous place to go to. Um, I think there's a lot of um, mystery behind it. Uh, well, it doesn't help that it's called the dark web. Well, it's, uh, imagine an iceberg. Um, the iceberg that you see, the tip of it, is only a small percentage of what's down below. And so that's the analogy I want to use. Um, so the tip of the iceberg, which is um, your information that you just you know, type in Google and, you, and Facebook and, and, and whatever, all the sites, LinkedIn, uh, that's the tip of the iceberg. What's down below that are files that are private, and then there's files uh, below that, um, you know, archived or, 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 you know, set to more privacy. So, um, you know, that's the structure of the uh, dark web. But um, it's also a space where, you know, not only is there legitimate communication and file storage, but they're like everywhere else in the physical world, there can also be crime and bad actors. And so, you know, um, just like in a physical world, you know, uh, criminals don't necessarily like to wear a t-shirt that says I'm a criminal and act out in daylight in, in front of everyone. You just don't see that happen. It tends to be, you know, behind the scenes as much as possible, uh, incognito. And that's exactly what they do on the web. So, um, yes, what happens on the dark web for people like you and I, most of the time is that, uh, our companies somehow leak data. And those leaks are either by, um, again, one of our staff getting an email and uh, the email says, hey, could you just send a copy of that invoice? And we don't do any due diligence and we just send the invoice and then that, uh, that's, that sits there. Or you know, we have other leaks and our private information gets out like our address, our phone number, uh, credit card information. And so that's, that's in the dark web and there's marketplaces. And you would be actually stunned on uh, if, you, if you think your self-worth is high, 
um, just Google how much your credit card and social security number is worth. People are buying it for uh, cents on the dollar and they're buying them in bundles of thousands. So uh, that tells you the asymmetric warfare is uh, so the tools are inexpensive. The data to exploit is very inexpensive because there's so much volume of it. Um, and it all kind of resides on the dark web and those transactions are kind of hidden. Um, and so there are a lot of services out there that uh, if you type in your, 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 your name or your company name, there are services out there that will search the dark web and see if there's data out there that's just sitting or being bought and sold without your permission. So, Thomas, for a small business, would you recommend they bring on an internal cybersecurity person or outsource? Well, that's a good question because uh, most of them can't afford either. <laughs> where, where I would start with, and this is what Cyberfence is. So um, when we first started, we started as, a, as a, 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 just a regular consultancy. Uh, we were referred to uh, a lot of small businesses who had been uh, hacked or had a data breach. And so um, we helped them as best as possible. And of course, they had small budgets. And what we found out were that really, so there's about, there's about 6 million companies uh, in the United States that have less than 500 employees. And this comes from the um, Census Bureau, uh, 2016, I think is the last uh, data set. So um, most of these companies, uh, five, uh, 500 employees less, or, and especially uh, 100 employees or less, they not only don't have the funding, they just don't have the division of labor. You know, so everyone's doing, you know, focusing on the core services like uh, keeping the product, you know, uh, up and selling it. So, you know, for a small company to have somebody on staff to be a, a cyber analyst or security expert, not only is it not affordable, it's just there's no bandwidth. And then to get someone external, um, they don't know. They don't, again, it comes down to, to resources. So we found out that um, small, smaller companies were the, the largest underserved um, segment in the market. And uh, so you have to, you know, not only craft a solution for these small companies that are, are always on the go, but you also have to make it affordable. And so that's why we created CyberFence. We went from a cold consultancy to a, um, a SaaS product platform. And so we, instead of just throwing the tools at the company, we wrap training around it. And we try to start with the, the highest decision maker in the company. And that's the uh, business owner, president, managing director, whoever's writing the checks and is ultimately in charge. Because what we want to do is establish leadership. Cyber leadership is incredibly important. And I know there's a thousand and one things on a business leader's plate right now. But if you're doing anything online, and of course, everybody is. You really have to. Um, you have to make time for this. I won't say it's a. It's a. Uh, it's a top three priority uh, because I, I don't want. I don't want to patronize anybody. I don't want to try to rearrange our priorities. But um, cybersecurity and cyber risk is. Um, you know, depending on how much business you do online and how important it is for your business, uh, that should help you set the priority. Um, but you have to take time. And we're, we're, we found that a lot of business leaders just simply, again, 
they know the they know about the uh, the threats out in the world. Um, so again, you don't have to patronize them. You don't have to scare them. They really just want confidence, and they want confidence to talk about these topics with their employees, their clients, and of course their upstream suppliers. And with that confidence, they can actually cultivate what I call a shared sense or a mission. And that tells everyone, hey, this is important. This is the strategy we're going to follow. It may not be perfect. It's not like a big company, but we're going to do everything we need to do. And this is why. And the why part is actually really, really important. Because if you ask business leaders, why do you do cybersecurity? They tend to give a a few replies that fall into two buckets. And those buckets are moral and practical. And what I mean by that is one reply, the moral reply will be, hey, you know, as part of the relationship, we need to protect the client's data the best we can. The practical uh, reply tends to sound like this. Um, Data breaches are disruptive and expensive. And if we can prevent those the best we can, that would be great. Those aren't, those are great reasons to do cybersecurity, but uh, I don't think it's enough to get a business leader out of bed or, or especially to shift uh, limited resources. So we have to look for a motivation. And if you can tie that motivation to something like an end goal, like cultivating trust, creating more you know, business income, uh, or even just uh, a self-centered uh, reason or uh, motivation of keeping your own company healthy. There you have something that uh, really drives your organization and you should be very proud to market that. And it actually differentiates you. So imagine yourself in um, at a negotiating table with an upstream, upstream supplier and it's you and um, uh, another vendor who are battling out for this contract and um, your upstream supplier asks, so I, I see that you're doing an initiative for cybersecurity. Why are you doing that? And if you can actually coherently and confidently explain, you know, we're all in this together. And I learned that as a business leader, I really have to take charge and lead my team to do better like everyone else. And I, I'm trying to measure that. I want to be transparent and share that information with you. So, I, you know, I can prove that I'm more secure than my competitors. Well, guess what? Not only do you have a memorable answer, but you actually have a genuine, heartfelt, thoughtful answer. And it's a heck of a lot better than saying, well, it's important. It's part of the relationship and I want to protect your data. I mean, you can only imagine who's going to be pushed over the fence on that contract. So that's what we try to do with the leaders. We try to, you know, cyber fence or what we call the cyber challenge is a five-day program to get your company cyber fit. And in those five days, we start with with the business leader. And first two days, we sharpen their cyber leadership skills, give them the confidence. And it's absolutely non-technical. It's designed for non-technical business owners or managers. And uh, because at this point, you don't have to get into the technical uh, uh, aspects. We want to talk about strategy, how to lead people, how to become confident in the, um, you know, the high level topics of cyber risk. And then we go into actually building and customizing a cyber risk framework. So by day three, you've sharpened your skills, you know what the heck you're talking about. 
and you actually have a framework that helps you make stronger decisions. On day four, we actually go through a scenario and we discover your company's strengths and weaknesses. And on day five, we show you how much it's going to cost, um, you know, with some uh, basic financial models of you know, how, how to find the actual product that's going to fill those uh, weakness gaps and how much it's going to cost. Because those are the three questions on every business leader's mind. What do I need to do next? How much is it going to cost? And of course, how do I differentiate myself? And that's really important for small businesses because if they can become cyber fit and then they can become cyber competitive, guess what? They have a, a great market differentiator. So when they go to uh, retain customers or win new customers or suppliers, now they can actually uh, market, you know, not only the same marketing tactics, everybody else, but they can add the most important thing right now. And that's, Hey, I'm cyber secure. I'm safe and more secure than my competitor. So I take better care of your information. I'm not going to lose it. You're not going to have to do extra hoop jumping to fix, you know, like a data breach. Um, yeah, we believe that that's what the marketplace is asking for. And uh, this is the best product and program for small businesses to actually become cyber fit and then create a market differentiator. So Thomas, you, you talked about this already a little bit, but how do you market your company? Like, how do you know which companies to go after? So what we do is uh, we're in next week, we're launching again, what's called the, the, the cyber fence challenge. And that is the, again, the, the five day get cyber fit. Um, we think that's pretty attractive for small companies because it's, uh, it's, it's really simplified is powerful, but it also is short. So, and um, we offer that for $100, believe it or not, $100. Because if you look at the alternatives to get a, a cyber assessment, that can cost you a couple thousand to $20,000, depending on how big your company is and who you call to do the assessment. Um, and then the training, there's a training out there, uh, cyber leadership training out there advertised on social media, and that's starting at $2,400. So we think all of those um, uh, administrative, largely administrative tasks, if you, if you leverage technology, um, there's no reason to be able to crush those costs and then um, push those savings to the, to the customer. Because if you're a small business and uh, all of a sudden you need an assessment and training and that's going to cost you 20 grand, Where's the budget for actual controls? Uh, you're probably in a worse position than you were before you took the assessment. So we've decided to crush the cost and be able to get your company's cyber fit in a fraction of time, a fraction of cost. And we hope that uh, we can make recommendations to you to, um, and then you know, you'll spend money on uh, discounted uh, controls. So you know, that's the added value we, we give small and medium-sized companies. Um, and we believe that's actually the way you know, going back to a previous question, when you asked, you know, should a company just hire, you know, an external uh, consultant or bring on an internal one? Our stance is, hey, let's get the leadership actually um, sensitized and trained up to make these risk-based decisions before they start spending money. So let's get the business leaders trained on risk management. Let's benchmark the performance. And then after you have the competency to make the right risk-based decisions and you have the data to make those decisions from, that's a much better per, uh, purchase. 
Um, you know, because you, you have limited funds, big companies, small companies, and you, you just can't afford to uh, buy something you may not need or something that may be out of your capabilities at the moment. So, Tom, I have to imagine that, you know, cyber law has changed based on locations, states, nations. How do you keep up with those different changing cyber laws? For us, it's just as hard as for smaller companies. It, um, right now, um, I, I, well, again, about two thirds of states have notification laws right now, but um, there are more and more um, states that are focusing on uh, uh, privacy. So uh, you just had California, they came out with a big law. Um, and if anyone has, if any of your audience has customers in California, you really need to understand the California uh, cyber laws because uh, they're, they're probably the most strict in the country. And uh, of course, they're followed up with uh, some pretty heavy fines and sanctions. The second state is uh, New York. They just had, a, um, I think, uh, again, about 12 months ago, they passed um, a, a cyber law, and that's really dedicated to the uh, financial services community. But um, it, take, for instance, we have uh, one client uh, who's been a longtime client. He's actually a life insurance uh, agent in uh, the Midwest. But since he sells for a company out of New York, he falls under the New York law. So um, for small companies, you may think, hey, I, I don't have any customers in New York. Uh, I don't have a business in New York. But um, similar to the healthcare law, HIPAA, uh, you may fall under that uh, if your upstream suppliers also fall under it because you're sharing the same data and you're using somebody else's network usually to process it, send it, or uh, store it. So for small companies, the implications of not knowing these laws is huge. And what I will say is that if a small company is actually becomes a victim of a, a data breach, the data breach itself doesn't necessarily put the company under. It's the legal work, the forensics, and the cost of notification, you know, complying with these laws. That's usually what's going to hurt the company the most. So, um, and on top of that, any, any revenue loss uh, that they um, suffered uh, during the breach itself. So um, in an order of magnitude, um, it's, it's a horrible outcome. So uh, again, we, we, you know, we believe in the statistics uh, back us is that let's start simple, you know, let's crawl, walk and run um, first. And so we start with a business leader and uh, start with the basics and help them understand where are my strengths and weaknesses. And we think that's the best way. And then, you know, actually craft a plan for a year. And that serves as your spend plan too. So you can actually budget for this. You can actually budget your resources for project management. And at the end of the year, you should be able to show not only your, your clients, but your um, upstream uh, suppliers, hey, this is where I was a year ago. Yeah, I wasn't doing too well, but now I understand my company. I understand, um, you know, my human error rates. And this is what I've done over the 12 months. You know, I put in all these uh, controls. I spent this much money and uh, we believe that uh, we stopped X number of uh, data breaches um, or incidences. And so that's actually very easy to, you know, to prove if you do the work behind it and that's, 
part of the cyber challenge. So we make, we make sure that small companies have that data so they can, you know, share it and uh, be able to, again, make a, a marketable differentiator and win more clients. Thomas, I understand you have, you have something for our listeners today. So, uh, well, again, we're, we're launching the, what, what I mentioned before, the Cyber Fence Challenge. And uh, it's a special rate of $100. And uh, you'll be able to see this offer. Um, I will share a special web link uh, with you, Jason, and you can distribute it out to your, your listeners, either through your website or email. And um, I really take advantage of this. Again, it's, uh, it's an incredible package that would cost you thousands of dollars. Um, so it's a, you know, it's a, it's a great value stack. Um, you know, and, and we start off, we start off, uh, you know, with the basics, it's non-technical. And by the end, you know, you can expect three things you can, you can expect as a small business leader, unshakable cyber confidence, unshakable. You're going to sharpen your leadership skills and be able to talk with your, talk about these topics with your employees, your clients and your suppliers. The second thing you're going to get is a very solid risk framework. And uh, this, is, this is a real risk framework that's going to help guide your decision-making. Um, and without it, um, you really, you, you can make uh, some really awful decisions because you don't have the structure or the framework or the data behind to, to make good decisions. The third thing is you're going to have a, a very hot uh, market advantage. So you're going to be able to show where you're at, where you're going, and you'll be able to compare your results against your, um, your competitors. Uh, so we think this is really important because, you know, we talked about, you know, uh, cyber crime and, and how, you know, who do they go after? Well, if you imagine all of us in the woods with our friends and we come across a bear, you know, uh, who, who's going to get eaten first? It's usually the slow one. <laughs> and so uh, you don't want to be the, uh, the least protected, the, um, the company that's the least engaged. And so that's exactly what cybercrime looks for. You know, they send out all these malware emails. And um, if uh, your staff isn't trained or, or you as a business leader aren't cognizant, you'll click on it. Whereas your competitors who've taken some time and effort to train their people, and put a framework in place, they're not going to click on it. And so, again, it's that analogy. If you're in the woods and a bear comes across, who's it going to eat? Well, if you're not paying attention, it's going to be you. So, um, yeah, this program of getting cyber fit in five days is a fraction of time, fraction of the money. I believe that uh, every small company should take advantage of it. It's for $100, and um, they will share it with your listeners. Thomas, can you share your social media for both yourself and your company so people can reach out to you? Sure. Uh, it, it'll be in the link that we send you, but the cyber challenge can be found at uh, cyber uh, is to cyberfence-challenge.com. And that'll take you to a landing page and you can start from there. Uh, we're also on uh, uh, Facebook and, and LinkedIn. If our listener, we have a link to his gift and his social media on our show notes. You can find the show notes at www.cabinshrblog.com. Be sure to share the Cabin's HR podcast. Thomas, we're coming to the end of our talk. Can you share any wisdom or advice on anything you want to talk about? 
I, again, I think everyone's aware of all the threats. You know, what really makes um, successful people different is that they take deliberative action. And this is something, you know, cybercrime and cyber risk. Again, if, you, if you're doing any business, any business at all online, then you, you just really have to, to pay attention on this and, and, um, and take action. Again, there's, you read about it every day. You know, companies going out of business, uh, or just being absolutely humiliated online because they lost all their clients' data. It's not, you don't want it to happen to you. You've worked too hard. And so, um, yeah, start off slow and CyberFence, uh, the CyberFence Challenge is a great way to start. Thomas, thanks for your time. I really appreciate it. It's been absolutely wonderful, uh, you know, sharing this time with you. And I appreciate the invitation. And uh, thanks for your listeners for taking the time out to listen. And to our listeners, thank you for telling us well. Remember to be great every day. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Cabinet HR Podcast. Be sure to connect with us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube, and TikTok at Cabinet HR. Also check out our weekly live streams at the Cabinet HR Facebook, Twitch, YouTube, and Periscope, where we focus each week on an HR topic important for small business. These are every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time and last around three minutes. To join our weekly HR email newsletter list, send us an email to jasonkavnis at kavnishr.com. Thank you, and remember to be great every day.